you stand up and move around and greet some folks. It's good to see you. How are you? Dan any better? Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. Let's worship that God today. Amen? Good morning. Scripture this morning is from Nahum 1, 7 through 15. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, <clears throat> he will make a, a complete end of his adversaries. He will pursue his enemies into darkness. What plot do you have against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise a second time. For they are like entangled thrones, thorns, like drunkards as they drink, they are consumed like stubble fully dried. And you came, from you came one plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are full, they are they at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break this yoke from you and will burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given commandment about you, and you shall no more shall your name be perpetrated. Before the house of the gods I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I, I will give you grave for you are vile. Behold, upon the mountains the feast of him who brings good news, who published peace, Keep your feast, O Judah, fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Stand and join our voices as we joyfully sing, Crown Him with Many Crowns. Page 304.
kingdoms far as eyes can see in royal robes they rule from thrones waging war they overthrow the weak and call it victory Come thou mighty king. Without thee, 
Ronnie, it's good to have you back. And I know that um, lots going on, so you may be a little out of practice. So if you just want to do that same song service next week, that'd be all right with me. Uh, what a great, what a great selection of hymns and choir special, all of it. We're going to look in James chapter 5 in just a moment, but before that, let's pray together. Would you join me? Father, we come before you. As we just sung those words as a prayer of music, but a prayer, we praise you for what you have done, that we might call you Father, that we might be saved, that we might behold you in your glory. We praise you. We thank you, Father, for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you that you redeem us, that you declare us to be righteous, that you declare us to be not guilty of our sin. We thank you that even now your spirit is working in us to conform us into the very image of Christ your son. You're making us a perfect bride that we can celebrate with you for an eternity. Lord, we know that Jesus prayed that you would sanctify us with truth. You said that your word is truth. And so we come to your word now and we ask for that sanctification in our life, Holy Spirit, that you would move in us and help us in a hard-hitting passage to see it for what it is and to apply it. Lord, you know the needs we ask and thank you for Dan as he is served so faithfully while Ronnie was out we, we asked God that you would help him as he heals continue to heal his back we pray Lord for Kay at night and the loss of a son-in-law and we ask Lord that you would watch over her pray for David Hart and the loss of his wife God would you comfort him would you comfort Wendell and Jane and the loss of a daughter we pray Father for um Leon, as he continues to battle cancer, just ask for your healing in his life. And, and Lord, we pray for the Pollard's granddaughter that, that you would bless her. And Lord, I, I know that I, I'm missing some, and forgive me, but I, I lift up the request on each heart in this room right now. You hear them all at the same time. And God, we pray that you would move in our lives for your glory. There are things we would love for you to do, but we know that your way is not our way and, and that, that you operate often in ways that we can't understand, so we want to trust you. Even in the valley, we trust you. And we ask, Lord, that you would just lead us and guide us to the paths of righteousness, the right paths. Help us to be on that path today. Lord, I thank you for words in Jeremiah that tell us to look for the ancient path, the good way. So we go to the ancient path now, the letters from heaven, and we ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and make it very clear how we should live to please you. But even more, Lord, would you show us your beauty? Jesus, would you show us your beauty, even in a passage like this? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. James chapter 5. We have been studying James for a little while, and we're coming now to the last 20 verses of this study. 
And so, um, if you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's Word. Verses 1 through 6. I'll warn you when we finish, put on your seatbelts, because James does not let up, okay? He continues to get us. And so, let's look at this together. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fatted your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is the word. As we come to the last chapter of James, let me remind you that these verses are the conclusion of what James has been talking about all the way back in chapter 4, verse 6, where he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He's been developing that, and he's showing us how to live under the grace of God rather than under the opposition of God. And it's a good question for us. How can I live in such a way that I don't come under God's opposition? How can I live in such a way that I come under his grace? As we study, James has shown us um, really three sins of pride. Starting in verses 11 and 12, we see that they speak down to our brothers. And then we see in verses 13 and 14, presuming upon the future. We saw that last week. And then in our text, we find the rich using their wealth to oppose the poor and to indulge themselves. Again, all of it comes in the context of God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. But there's something different in this passage. It's debatable, but I believe that this is the first time that James turns his attention to those outside of the church. There are those who believe he's talking about the rich in the church here, and the rich have been mentioned they have been brought up, and there were wealthy people in the church. But, but James takes a totally different tone in this passage. There's no mention of there being brothers or sisters here. They, he, he tells them to weep and howl for the judgment that's coming. And then he seems to anticipate final judgment and, and not salvation. These six verses, I think, are, are verses that are dealing with those who, who are being the oppressors. The church is being oppressed, and he's showing them how to deal with the oppressors. He's, he's showing us how to, to, to live in a way that, that we live with humility. And we've been studying this and seeing this, but, but James, and he'll continue this, but James is showing them, he, he's showing them what God is going to do to those who are oppressing them. And so in the next few verses, we study the next few weeks, he's going to say, be patient. 
Keep looking to the second coming. This life is not all there is. And we'll get to that next week and the weeks to come. But, but for now, he's going to show us those who are facing judgment if they don't turn from God. It's really, it's like an Old Testament prophet here. James is writing to the earliest church, um, the, and it's the earliest letter, and he's writing to them, these New Testament believers, and, and he's, he, he's writing like an, an Old Testament prophet speaking out against the oppression. We've been reading it in Nahum and books like that in, 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 our, di- in our, our weekly Bible reading, and he, he's talking about um, how the oppressors would, um, would speak to the lost, and, and now he's, he's talking about how the oppressors are oppressing the Christian poor. Now, why he's talking to lost, rich people who are oppressing the Christian poor, we might stop and say, well, wait a minute, this has nothing to do with us, so let's just let it go. But don't do that today. Because we can learn, we can learn a lot from what James says about these even who are lost as the church we can learn a lot about how to act with what God has given to us. I, I know when I talk about being wealthy, none of us consider ourselves rich. We, we compare ourselves to others, don't we? we? We may think, well, I'm rich in his eyes, but I mean, have you, have you looked at Elon Musk's bank account statements lately? I'm not wealthy at all. But I'll just remind you that if you if you make $20,000 a year, you're in the richest 10% of the global world. If you make $20,000 a year, you're in the richest 10% in the global world. So all of us are wealthy in this room today in somebody's eyes. So let's listen to what James says. And let's make sure that we use what God has given to us to come under God's grace and not under God's opposition. Amen? There's a warning in verse 1. A warning. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Weep and howl. Judgment is coming. That word howl is only used by the Old Testament prophets in the Bible. It's always used in the context of judgment. There's a, there's a misery, James says, that is coming as a result of God's opposition. He opposes the proud. There's a misery that's coming. They may be living well now, as we'll see, but, but there is a misery that is coming for their eternity. And we'd, we'd better all find out how to come under God's grace through humility because there is a misery coming for those who are under the opposition of God. So what are they doing that causes this pronouncement of judgment? You see it in, in the warning, but, but every commentary, every sermon I studied said the same thing. There, there are four actions here. Four actions that are causing this. So let's look at these four actions. And, and the first thing he says is they're hoarding. They're hoarding. In James's day, and in the Old Testament days, 
there were three sources of wealth. Grain, gold or silver, and clothing. Primarily other than land, that was it. The way you exchanged wealth, the way you accumulated wealth, grain, gold or silver, and clothing. And what I want you to see up front here, please hear me, is is James is not condemning wealth. The Bible never condemns wealth. Wealth is a good thing. He's not condemning wealth, but he's, he's condemning how they got it. The Bible often does that. It's not the wealth, but it's how they got it and, and how they used it. And so let me remind you again, the problem is not the wealth, it's, it's the sinful use of the wealth. So money's not the sin, you know that. It's the love of money that's sin. The worship of money is sin. The use of money can be sin. But I think it's safe to say, based on what we see in Scripture, Wealth can be good and is often good and is often used in the kingdom of God, but it always has, hear me closely, the tendency to be a spiritual handicap. It always has the tendency to pull you away from God. Jesus was upfront about this in several places. You can, you can just read the writings about Jesus in the Gospels and see. But look at what James says. Your, your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. He really here covers all three sources of wealth. They hoarded their grain. It rotted. They hoarded their clothes. And the moss destroyed it. And they hoarded their gold and silver. And it corroded. It's interesting that James says that gold and silver rusted. If you're a scholar, if you know, you're thinking, well, gold and silver doesn't rust. James knows that. James is not dumb. He understands that, but he's making a point. The truth is, James is being ironic. Metals that the world thinks will last forever will one day lose their value in eternity. The things that we give everything we want to have, everything that we, 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 we give everything and our time for, they, they don't last. As a matter of fact, to just remind you that that gold you're wearing, they use to pave the streets in heaven. I know I've said it before, but it's, it's like wearing an asphalt necklace. It just doesn't make sense. I think what James is saying is this. While needy people went without food and without clothes and without wealth, this group of people were heartless and they stockpiled it to preserve their own wealth. And that action turned to spiritual rot for their soul. That action turned to spiritual rot for their soul. James says the misuse, the corrosion, look what he says, will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Why? Because they laid up treasure with the world in mind and forgot eternity. That's our danger. 
with all the retirement plans and all the 401ks and all the things that we can do, those are good things. But you can lay up treasure with the world in mind and forget eternity. We, we don't like people talking about money, do we? I understand it. We don't like it. But we have to be reminded of two things that I, I've tried to remind you over the years that I've been with you. First is we are stewards, and that is all. We're stewards. Every good thing God has given to us is from God, and, and we're stewards of that. And, and, and every spending decision is a spiritual decision. We're stewards of that. So we, we seek God, and how we do is we saw last time, we pray about everything. Even how we spend our dollars. But the second thing, first we're stewards and that's all. But the second is this. We've got to understand this church. We will be held accountable for how we spend it. We'll be held accountable for how we spend it. I, I, I don't do the finances in our house. That may make you feel less of me, but I'm just not a numbers guy. And, and I'm not good with that. Kim is excellent with that. And so she takes care of that. But every so often, I have, I'm accountable. Why did you spend X amount of dollars on Amazon? Well, I'm, I needed some books. You got a stack of books you haven't read. It's accountability. It's the worst thing you could tell a reader is don't buy any more books. You understand that. We're going to be held accountable one day. For how we spend what God has given to us. Not just money, but talents and gifts and time. I'll say it again. The money trail of our life is the surest testimony of what we love and worship. Follow the money trail and you see what you love and you worship the most. And James is speaking to people who were using it to oppress people. When you come to James, again, in verse 4, he speaks of a second sin. Not only were they hoarding it, there's not, nothing wrong with storing the grain, but they stored the grain so long that it rotted while people were starving. <coughs> there's nothing wrong with having extra clothes, but they hoarded it while people were naked. There's nothing wrong with having wealth, but they hoarded it while other people were going without. They weren't helping. And here's the second thing. They were robbing they were robbing people. They were literally committing fraud. Behold the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields. Their barns are full because the laborers mowed the fields. The wages of the laborer who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That sound like the Exodus? God told Moses, their cries have reached my ears. When our cries reach the ears of God, he, he begins to work. Their barns were full, the grain was rotting, and yet they held back the wages of those who put the grain there. Those who'd earned it. In James's day, we've got to get this, the worker lived day to day. He lived for a day to day wage. What he made that day bought the food for that night. And so if you held back his wages, not only does he not eat, his family doesn't eat. They go without. 
I'll let politicians talk about minimum wage. It's minimum wage. I'll let politicians talk about fair wages and all those things. But the Bible's very clear about this. The Bible's very clear about God's expectations for the ones who pay the worker. Let me give you some verses. And I think this applies not only to the worker, it applies to the little girl selling Girl Scout cookies and she brings them up and you forgot you've got the money you just don't want to pay because you now you're on a diet you know you can make any application to it for whatever it is but look at it Proverbs 3 27 through 28 do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's in your power to do it do not say to your neighbor go and come again tomorrow and I'll give it when you have it with you. Pay what you owe. So what he's saying. Leviticus 19.13. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Pay what you owe. I understand we pay differently now. <coughs> I understand that many of us get paid weekly or biweekly or even monthly, but, but in this day, they were paid day to day. It's the only way they survived. Deuteronomy 24, 14 and 15. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners, one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. Listen to that, church. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. They lived day to day. The expectation was a fair wage that was paid on time. Now understand, work was expected. They didn't get paid without work. And we need to understand that. Work is a good thing. It is a, it is a creation ordinance. I said it last week. I'll say it again. It is a biblical thing to work. They needed to work for the wage, but then it was a sin to hold back the wage that had been earned, especially when they were holding it back for their own personal profit. What were they doing with the wages that they were holding back? That's the third sin in verse 5. It's the sin of self-indulgence. They were hoarding, they were robbing, and they were hoarding and robbing so that they could live in luxury. Look at verse 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fatted your hearts in a day of slaughter. A strong. You have lived is a word that speaks of extravagant lifestyle. It speaks of living in luxury and self-indulgence. They were taking their pleasure, living a soft and comforted life. And notice what he says. The cry of the worker's wages are crying against you. The cry of the wages, the injustice of that is crying out to God. Not only that, the cry of the workers themselves was reaching the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
Now, let me stop. This is not about equal pay. This is not communism. It's not that everybody should make the same thing. Nor is it that everybody should have the exact same wage and live in the same house or the same type of houses. If, if all the wealthy, and this, this doesn't sound very biblical or very compassionate, but it's just biblical. If all the wealthy sold everything and gave it to the poor, we'd all be poor. Use the wealth you've been given to hire people. Use the wealth you've been given to help people come up out of their poverty. Use the wealth that you've been given to help people make a living and a fair living. This is what he's talking about. It's not equal wages. It's just fair wages. Don't take advantage of the poor is what he's saying. We live in luxury. They're living in luxury and self-indulgence by taking advantage of the poor, by stealing from them what is rightfully theirs and refusing to give it to them. Do we do that in our business? Do we do that in our own lives? Do, Do we dare rob God? That we might live an indulgent life? God says in Malachi, we rob him when we don't tithe. I just went to meddling, didn't I? But that's the biblical truth. Do we say, I can't pay that car payment, that house payment, this over here. If I give a tithe, I can't do this. Do we rob God to live in luxury? There's one more sin. It's the sin of violence. It's in verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. I don't know if they were literally murdering the people here. It's most likely figurative. Maybe we shouldn't be so quick to say that. I'm intentionally going to be a little controversial here. But I think it's something we need to think about. If the CEO has a top-of-the-line insurance plan, and please hear me, and he won't give his workers a decent plan, and his workers have to choose between eating or medicine, are we guilty? If we hold back wages for work done and pay under what it is worth, do we cause people to choose between food and medicine? Can we be guilty of death? What about the world? A lack of clean water. A lack of food. It's easy to pick on this, but drug companies making billions and billions while people in the third world die from lack of vaccines and medicine. Insurance companies, if you work for one, I'm not picking on you because you probably don't make these decisions, but insurance companies driving up prices, governments oppressing and keeping people poor for the sake of a vote. And churches building buildings while people starve in the shadows. 
Church, can we rest knowing that 40,000 children starve to death today? That 525,000 children die every year from diarrhea? That a million people will die this year from malaria alone? We think, well, that's not our problem. That's not us. We don't have anything to do with that. I want you to hear me again. Simple estimates of those in America who claim to be Christians, if they just tithed, the church would have $165 billion additional dollars. It's an indictment. An indictment that if we just kept that simple biblical principle of 10 cents of every dollar, that we would have $165 billion more. Do you know with that kind of money, it is possible to rid the world of world hunger? That's just not wishful thinking. It is. It's, it's possible to end the world of illiteracy and, and the water problems and to give the, the, the necessary medicines to those who, who need it. James speaks to us, doesn't he? I can't end there. I could end there and we'd all feel guilty and go home, but I don't want to end there. I want to end by showing you the beauty of Jesus because he's right here in this passage. The righteous person, verse 6. Look at that little phrase. He talks about how they, they condemn and murder. Now notice this phrase, the righteous person. The righteous person, he does not resist you. Who's the only righteous person has ever lived and walked this earth? It's Jesus. The very people who are oppressing the first century Christians here were the people who condemned and murdered Jesus. And Jesus didn't resist. I think what he's going to show us in, in the next few verses is, is, is be patient and wait on the Lord. You don't have to fight their way. You just keep doing what God's called you to do. But, but, but he's, he's showing us that, that Judas sold Jesus out. The priests condemned him. The Romans murdered him. But Jesus didn't resist. He left the glory of heaven for a sinful world so that we could be redeemed. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8. Nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's our example. What Jesus did for us. Can we really be his followers if we don't see ourselves as stewards? If we can't allow him to use the riches that we enjoy, not only for our pleasure, it's okay to have pleasure. It's okay to have nice things. But if we cannot limit ourselves in some way and die to self in some way for his glory so that we can help others, then what does it say? In Timothy, Paul 
Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. When you see the beauty of Jesus, the, the God one, when you see him and, and you begin to align your life under him and you, you come under the beauty of Christ, then you begin to understand that all this stuff means nothing. It's, it's just like asphalt. It's, it's nothing compared to him. And, and you hold it with an open hand. It's, it's his. He's the all-beautiful one, not the stuff. And Paul, he says that verse, and then he, he says, we, we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. It's a good reminder for us. This is all in, 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 in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We brought nothing into the world. We, we cannot take anything out of the world. And then in, in Timothy, he, he warns those who want to be rich in verses 9 through 10. He warns them, you, you desire to be rich. He's, he's warning them. But then in verse 17, he speaks to those who are rich. And he says... Don't be haughty. Don't set your hopes on riches, but set them on God. Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share and store up treasures in heaven. Your tithes don't just go to keep the lights on or the air conditioner. They don't just go to salaries. Week after week, your tithes and offerings go across the world to people who have never heard the gospel. But they also stay right here in town. When people come in and get help and they're prayed for and the gospel is shared when possible, you make a difference when you give to your local church. We've been working on something for a few weeks. We're still working on it. But Krista Wall has been leading it. Um, we've been in contact with Iola Elementary School right down the road. And what we're going to offer and suggest is that as a church, we partner with Iola to meet every need they have for their needy children. Cropwell is doing it with Williams. Coosa Valley is being met by Mount Pisgah. There are needs, simple needs. There are children, I'll just say, Iola has the largest number of free lunch program in our school system. They have the largest number of needy children in our school system. Not that there's not needy children everywhere, but Iola is one of the largest, and our church ought to be able to help those needs. Things like snacks. You might just take it for granted when you put a snack in the bag for your child, but do you realize there are some children who don't have snacks? You know who's paying for that? Teachers are paying for that. And what we want to suggest is that as a church, we supply every classroom with just something as simple as snacks. That every teacher will have what they need to provide the children of that class what they need. Cold weather's coming. Can we not come up with enough vouchers to give every needy child a coat? Can we not come up with enough vouchers to give every needy child a winter shoe? Food? We're doing the backpack ministry, and we should for places in Mississippi, but, but can we not minister? We're, we're going to suggest that this year, if we can work it out, 
that all of our angel tree ministry will be all geared toward Iola and we'll meet those children's needs. That we'll meet them, and not only them, but the teachers. That we'll come under them and support them and pray for them. Simply to be the hands and feet of Jesus in one school. While we partner with other churches who are being the hands and feet of Jesus in other schools. I think it's a good it's a good marriage. I don't mean this boastfully. I just don't know of another church in our city who is blessed as we are in the financial department. And I don't know of another school who has more need. And so why not put the two of us together and let's see what we can do over the days to come to not protest and show up at City Hall show out over stuff that doesn't matter but just be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who need it amen you'll hear more about that so just give us a little time I just wanted you to hear about it as a way that we're going to try to apply passages just like this in the days to come there'll still be other needs there'll still be other missions this will be one that we can take part of. I want to ask you if you'd bow your head. I've mentioned to you in the last several weeks, you know that we're running behind budget and have for quite some years. I told you that the truth is if the 200 giving units in our church would just give $10 extra every week, we'd way go over those needs. That means more money goes to missions. That means more money goes to things like this. I really want to challenge you again in your area of giving. Are you giving the same thing you've been giving for the last 20 years? The more you love something, the more you want to give to it. And when we see the beauty of Christ, the more we want to give to make Him known. And so I just want to challenge you for a few moments to think about what you have, not just in the church. That's important. It's important. There are other needs outside the church. I know that. What are you doing with what God has given to you? You're a steward. Would you ask God to to show you what you can do to be a better steward of what he's given to you? Time, talent, gifts, and tithes. We won't sing this morning. We just want to give you a time to to respond. What about the needs around you? How can you meet your neighbor's need if there's a need there? Your co-worker's need.
If you need to do something public, please don't hesitate. Come, we'll meet you in the front and, and help you with that. If you've never met the most beautiful one who has ever existed, Jesus Christ, if you've never met him, we want to tell you how to come to know him. Father, we love you. It's overwhelming to think of the need across the ocean. But it's easy to forget that it's overwhelming to think of the need in this county. You've given us much. And to whom much is given, much is expected. We want to be faithful stewards. I thank you for the generosity of many in this room. The sacrifices they make. And I pray, Father, that each of us would look deep into what you have given us. And we would just see ourselves as stewards. Use it for your glory. Help us, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you go home now, you'll miss a great hour of Bible study. I hope you'll stay for that. And um, Two things, and we'll close with our benediction. One is, if you have not heard, our minister of education has completed his doctoral studies. Turn in his dissertation. Stand up, Dr. Gold. Dr. Tim Gold, he's done it. Thank you, Tim. You can go ahead and head back to the floor if you want to. He's worked hard on it for a long time, and, um, and he's finished that. He finally got the approval. Um, can we close with a responsive um, benediction? You got to play with me now, okay? <laughs> What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Come on, stand up. Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fault I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. God bless you. Our ushers will be at the door to practice what I've preached. Amen. <laughs>